In this episode of Mont Icons, we speak to former prisoner David Obeda about co-founding the GFAM prison gang. All right, uh, this is a really, really special episode. We've got David Obeda from The Felon Show um, talking to us today. David does really amazing work and um, really rare work in terms of his perspective on the carceral system in Victoria. Um, thank you so much for, for being on this show, David. Really appreciate it, man. Oh, thanks, brother. Thank you for that. Yep. No, nah, good to be here, bro. So t- tell us about um, where, where you grew up or um, when you moved to Australia. Yes, yeah, so it is, brother. Um, so I grew up in New Zealand, bro. I grew up in uh, Auckland. Um, you know, pretty normal upbringing, man. Pretty uh, nothing really spectacular. Um, yeah, well, I, I used to get into a little trouble as a youngin, which was why I moved to Australia, actually. Really? Is that um, common? Is that common for, for young kids that are playing up in New Zealand? They get moved to Australia? Yeah, it actually is, bro. <laughs> it actually is. Um, yeah, yeah. Because it's also all, all, always around the parents as well. So a lot of people's parents move here, uh, move to Australia, thinking that, you know, there's better money. Um, it's a bit easier. So, yeah, but usually people getting into trouble is the main reason they go to Oz. And, um, you know, we sort of move over there. But, you know, obviously there's a lot of other people with the same idea. So you end up getting there and there's just a bunch of kids, not a bunch, but, you know, sometimes you can be around other kids who have also left New Zealand for the same reasons. (laughs) So it's like you just end up sort of around the same people, I guess. And and what areas were you in 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 Melbourne, were you were you down Westerway or? Yeah, yeah, bro, yeah, yep. So down Westerway, I went to school there for a bit. Um, yeah, I was around Dandenong, Springvale, Clayton, around that area. Mm. So, um, like for me, moving there from New Zealand, it was actually quite a, a culture shock, really, when I went there. Um, as I was used used to mainly being around other, you know, Polynesians and um. Even though there are a lot of Polynesians in Melbourne, it's also quite diverse. It's like a real melting pot, you know, when you get to Melbourne because it's like, um, you know, a lot of Asian, you know, Vietnamese, um, even, you know, European, um, you know, Middle East, Arab, you know, um, Afghanistan, you know, um, Sudanese even. Um, so these are all places I hadn't really heard of when I left um when I left New Zealand, you know what I mean? It was just, um, it was all new to me. It was a bit of a culture shock. And, um, yeah, I'm from Dandy as well. Afghan born and raised and, um, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know, I know, I know what it's like trying to make ends meet, uh, down, down yeah. in the Southeast, man. Um, yeah, right. So how, how did you, the Bronx there and Dandy. Yeah, man. How'd you get caught up in the mix? Um, what, was it just trying to, trying to make a little money on the side or, um, how did you get involved just trying to get by? Yeah, there was that. So I was, as a teenager, it's like, um, well, you know, when I because ha- I was homeless, you know, as a teenager moving to Melbourne because when I first went to Melbourne, I was living with my mum. But by the by the uh, time I got here at like fourteen fifteen, uh, got to Melbourne at fourteen fifteen, it's like I'd already pretty much chosen my path at that point. So I pretty much just left home. And um, yeah, man, just doing what you got to do to survive, to put food in the stomach, man, you know. Um, 
And then as time goes by, you just sort of get trapped in that, eh? and then you just sort of don't really know what else to do. So you just keep going, keep uh, going down that path, and then, you know, eventually leads to prison and, you know, all of that. I know uh, from other podcasts you've been on uh, that you were, you were invo- involved in burglaries. Did that? How did that start for you? Because I know um, when I was growing up, it always started, you know, you're, you're doing run-throughs on drug dealers, and that, and then you just end up just breaking into everything and every, anything. How, how did it start for you though? Um, so it's how it started for me. Really, was I mean, it just escalates really from you know breaking into cars um with friends um you know we were mainly stealing cars just to get around in and then we were stealing cars to like transport goods from burglaries um but yeah it's just around that circle of um you know no one has money um we want to get high as well we want to get drunk you know so that's really where uh turned into burglaries and um even armed robberies started doing them um yeah basically just uh just to get high and have fun and and again you know putting food in the stomach um yeah so it just really escalated like that and the people I was hanging around as well yeah it all just kind of you just work off each other's energy a little bit and, yeah, yeah that's it that's exactly right um so first time you get stuck in the system when was that and, and and it was for a bunch of offenses, right? They all kind of just stuck, yeah. So stuck. that was for yeah, that was for a range of offenses because I was getting bail. You know, committing offenses like assaults, then getting bail, then committing burglaries and still getting bail. Um, well, not that they were very serious. I mean, they were serious, but they weren't. If you know what I mean. Um, so that's why I kept getting bail. But um, like the police had been after me for ages, though, you know, like the police hated me, you know, because we, the police hate people that get away with stuff. Because like up to that point, I went to the system. I mean, I was the only one out of the out of my group of friends that had um, stayed out, that had managed to stay out. So the police had been on onto me for a while, you know, always um, like they always used to pick me up when I was going to do burglaries and stuff. But I would never have anything on me, you know what I mean? And like. They, they would always just hate that, you know, so there was that. But then they finally got me here for a range of offences. And, um, yeah, I ended up going to Malmesbury Youth Detention when I was 19. Um, and, yeah, that was sort of my first taste of the system. What was that like in Malmesbury? Yeah, you, can you tell us, maybe like, kind of tell us that maybe the first day you walked in kind of stories? So walking through uh, Malmesbury Youth Detention, it was like um, there's a group of people as you walk in, obviously. Um, you get taken through, like, reception. So I walked into the unit. Um, to be honest, I was just looking for another, like, Islander or Maori. So that was sort of my first in- instinct. And then uh, I ended up seeing a guy from from the area, from Dandenong, who I actually didn't know. So I didn't know him well, but I had seen him around, though. And... Um, so, yeah, because in prison, as the years go by, I always noticed that that um, you see people from the outside that you normally you just seen them around the neighborhood sort of thing, and you just saw them around the area. And in prison, that's sort of like, um, on the, so say on the outside with him that I met on that first day, I probably would have never approached him or anything like that on the outside because we were in completely different circles and 
but then when we went to when I was in when I went to Malmesbury and I saw him, I was sort of like, oh man, there's a you know there's a familiar face there, even though I don't know him. So then that and we ended up becoming quite close too, you know. So we became became good friends. And um, but walking through it is a bit intimidating, you know. I was skinny as well; I was pretty small. So, um, yeah, man, definite anxiety. Um, because also before Malmesbury, I'd come through the cells, you know, Dandenong cells, and then to the magistrate in Melbourne. Dandenong so cells, not a, not a happy place. <laughs> yeah, bro. It's a grimy fucking place, eh? <laughs> yeah, bro. Yeah, but not well. Oh, cells. <laughs> yeah. Especially with the police officers you get down in Dandy, bro. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah, yeah. They they got a pretty fierce reputation. Yeah. So coming through there, I sort of uh, met some people that sort of, you know, they give you the the rundown of what it's like and, you know, sort of what to do and stuff. Who was that for you, though? Who was that? I like, I like that um, old school kind of mentoring. Oh, that was just... So in, in the police cells, I mean, I wasn't there for that long. So there were older guys. I didn't know them well, though, but they just sort of told me while I was in there, you know, like, um, you know, just keep your head up, man. Like, they, it's not like they try and scare you or anything, but they do tell you, you know, you just got to stick up for yourself. Because, um, you know, once you let something slide, then it just becomes constant, you know what I mean? And then people sort of pray in that, especially in, inside. So, um but in regards to the first day at Malmesbury, that, yeah, well, actually, it wasn't too bad. Um, considering, you know, like it wasn't bad as in I didn't get into any fights, but, you know, it does suck being inside and it's your first time and you're not used to it. And, um, you know, you tell people you're doing like nine months and they sort of look at you like, that's not that long. But at that time, I thought, fuck, that's ages, you know. But as the time goes by, you know, it ends up becoming that, you know, you got guys that are doing really long and then you do, you do like five to 10 years and people say that's not that long in prison. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Quick 10. Just, that's what they say. Uh, eh? Yeah, yeah, bro. Quick yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. How, how long after that did, did you uh, wind up in the, in the adult prison? Cause you, you were out um, for a couple of months. Yeah. Yeah, so I got out for like two months after that, and then I went straight back in, bro. I was doing the same thing as soon as I got out, just met up with the boys, um, just automatically wanted to get on and get on the drugs and go make some money. So uh, unfortunately, I wasn't out for long. I went back straight to the adult system this time. And um, I mean... It was really just the same thing, really. You know what I mean? Just there was a lot older guys and because I had my co-offender as well who was with me. So he was like, he was a bit older than me as well. So he was already quite um, adjusted to the prison system. So he gave, he, so as soon as I um, went into prison in the yard, it was like, I didn't really have much to worry in terms of that because there were already some pretty solid Islander boys that were on the yard who my co-offender knew as well. So it was like, um, you know, I walked in and, you know, one of the boys, you know, grabbed my things and sort of like walked me to my cell sort of thing, asked me if I needed anything, um, you know, so at least uh, I did have that when I went to prison, sort of the guys around me. Mm. What's, what's the yard? Of, uh, what was the yard like just for, for anyone that's listening that's probably oh, just seen movies, movies, you know, and no, that's yeah, a, bro. the thing yep. with your perspective is so great is that 
Like, no one knows what the Melbourne, no one's been able to see what the Melbourne system's really like because there's yeah. not, not that many movies except for like Chopper back in the day or um, they don't yeah. let cameras inside. So nah, I know that. Paint that yeah, picture, yeah, man. Nah. How was that on that the That was yard? definitely so. Oh, so um, when you get to the map, um, so obviously there's reception, yeah? So you've got like the office bit where you sort of walk through off the bus. So you're, sh- so you're handcuffed, you walk out. Um, and there's just basically a whole bunch of um, holding cells and you're just sort of in a line and you got to do like medical tests and testing your mental health, things like that. So that takes forever. You know what I mean? So that takes at least half the day, if not all the day. So by the time you get led up into the prison, so you walk up the steps because this is like an underground bit and then you walk up the steps into the main, I guess, compound. And um, when you're walking in the map, you just walk out and then there's like a big concrete yard and it's surrounded by the units. So um, so it's packed, you know what I mean? When you walk in, there's a lot of people walking around. It is very disorientating, really, Like now that I think back to it, because there are so many people walking around and you don't really know what's going on. Because um, you realize how disorientating it is later on because later on as you get um used to the prison system and how things are i mean there's always something happening you know there's always guys doing deals and whatnot so at first when you first go to prison you don't see you can't see any of that you know what i mean you just see a whole bunch of people walking around but then as you get adjusted to the prison system then you start you can see all the moves being made and this guy talking to that guy and you can sort of see everything but as a newcomer coming into that, it's just a whole bunch of people. Um, not much is happening. Everyone's just walking around, not doing anything. You know, that's what you think when you first go to prison. So, um, yeah, that was sort of, yep. Between between the MRC and uh, was the first place that you got moved to, did you get shipped to Barwon or to, to Port Phillip? Uh, no, so I went from that time, I went to the maps to MRC. So oh, okay. I went to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the map, the map in Melbourne is just the assessment prison. So you only really go there for about a couple of days, if that, or a couple of weeks, depending on your your mental state. And then from there, you would get shipped to either. Well, at that time, you would only really go to uh, MRC from there, uh, the Raman Center. Now things have changed in the prison system now because it's so packed now that they're sort of putting Raman prisoners in all different prisoners. Yeah, prisons, Port Phillip too. At, yeah, yeah. Yeah, bro. Yeah, bro. Support Philip now as well. Um, so yeah, from there I went to MRC, bro, and I sort of that was my. I went to A Yard there, so that was sort of my taste of proper prison. You know, being around like older guys who do have influence. Um, so when I went to MRC, I got met a lot of Muslims um, and people who had influence. So that was sort of my first taste of that. You know, being around people that have influence and do have a name and like are respected. What does that look like in prison? Like what, how do you know? Uh, Or or is it just someone, someone words you up about that? Oh, like sort of how you would know. Yeah. Nah, people would just, uh, yeah. People sort of word you up when you, when you get there. Um, just so you know, you know, like that's pretty much what would, would happen with everyone really. Um, when you sort of go in and, you know, they'll point out, you know, who are the guys that's, I guess, the heavies, you know, and um, 
so yeah it's 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 weird looking back now because you know when i first went to prison i was a lot around those sort of guys but i didn't know them they didn't know me sort of thing but then um you know as the years go by and then i ended up getting to know a lot of them you know? yeah so how long did you spend uh in mrc a uh, couple months max yeah a couple months just until i got sentenced and then uh upon sentencing i went to uh mrs oh, sorry to uh fulham fulham correctional out in sale there yeah right and what was that like um fulham was good man um the thing is so because the mentality i was in at that point as well was sort of like um I wasn't looking at all about rehabilitation, you know what I mean? So I wasn't in the mindset of rehabilitating. I wasn't in the mindset of staying out of trouble. So when I got to Fulham, I was just like, um, you know, I wonder how long I'm going to last here sort of thing, you know? So, um, yeah, that's what it was like for me. So when I went there, I was sort of just looking for trouble, you know, um, and in prison, you can find trouble if you want it. You know what I mean? So, I was sort of just doing that and um, uh, ended up, they ended up being a big riot while I was there, which I was involved in. And um, talk us through that day, man. Tell us about how that, how that happened, what happened that morning and what was it about? Uh, Yeah. So, oh, well that morning it wasn't even on the cards that anything was going to (laughs) happen. It was sort of just like uh, another day, but um Basically, it was over a funeral, though. So a couple of boys weren't allowed to go to this funeral. And um, they were gutted on it. Um, and, yeah, that basically, uh, that's what kicked it off. That was the spark point. So we all got together. We actually walked down to, like, the main plaza bit, which was, like, a, um, where, like, the main offices sort of are located. And we went down there, a whole bunch of us. And um, is this just Islanders yeah, or or the yeah, whole unit? Uh, yeah, mainly mainly Islanders. Um, we were we weren't on the, all in the same unit though, but we we were because um, we had we were leaving the gym. That's why we were out there like that. So we were all at the gym, and then we went from there. And um, now nah, it was majority were Islanders, yeah. But there were a couple um, other boys, uh, a couple Middle Eastern boys, and. Uh, like white, I guess, Australian. Um, but yeah, mainly Islanders, and um, yeah, it just escalated very quick, man. And then yeah, we just it just ended up being a big brawl between us and the officers. And um, it was like a movie, over eh, just like a movie, man. Um, people getting beat up all over the place, and officers on the ground. Um, and yeah, so yeah. Big, big, big melee, pretty much. <laughs> and and did you get so, slotted for that? Yeah, bro. Yeah. So that was that was when I went to Barwon. Right, and and this is so you you were at Barwon. You went straight to Supermax. So, yeah, bro. Yeah. So Fuck. Malaluka. Yeah. Right, and yeah. that I mean, for those that are listening, going to Malaluka at the age of twenty, right? You were yeah, twenty bro. years yep. old is pretty fucking. That's pretty hectic, man. How long? How long were you yeah, there bro. for? Or maybe t- maybe talk a bit about the regime, like what what that unit actually is, and and what you yep. what you're what what you aren't allowed to do, because what what you are allowed yep. to do is fuck all. 
Yep. So so from from Fulham we got um escorted straight to Balwin straight away. Um straight to Malaluka. Um so basically what Malaluka is, especially at that time, so they've built another secure unit there, which is like the highest now, but at that time Malaluka was like the pretty much the highest security. So basically what that is is you've just got pretty much the most dangerous people in the state, you know, um, what corrections considers the most dangerous people in the state of Victoria. So I went, I went there, um, at 20. Um, I had actually, I'd heard of that unit. So it wasn't like, um, it was intimidating because when you get there, it's sort of like, it's all concrete. You don't, you can't see really much because, um, all you see is just doors to everywhere. It's sort of uh, it's hard to explain it, but the regimes basically is you can't you don't leave your cell. Um, you do get uh, walked to a shower every now and then, um, but to, to to even get to the shower, you know, you've got to be shackled up. Um, there's like uh, six officers around you, surrounding you. Um, and it's just a little walk to the shower, you know, but they just need all of that um even because to get your hour out of your cell there they um so your run out yard is at the back of your cell so your cell has your main cell door and then there's a door at the back which leads out into like a they call it a chook pin and that's basically just the concrete walls and floor where you get your hour out a day um and is that with someone you, else or just on your own Nah, nah, just on your own, bro. Just on your own. Nah. Fuck. In those situations, you can't even really see anyone because that's the weird thing about being in the... So in in those sort of units, you can still talk to people, but you sort of got to shout out like to your next door neighbors. And so you can still talk. Like it, it does get noisy because there's a lot of talking, but yeah, you're yelling. There's a lot of yelling. But... um. Yeah, it's weird because you can actually build up relationships in there, you know what I mean? Like, say, with your next-door neighbors and stuff because there's a van at the door, so you sort of just lie at the door and you can talk. But a lot of the times, you 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 know, I've, I've spoken to people in there for, like, over six months and you haven't even seen them, bro. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Like, you don't, even, you, don't even know what they, you don't even know what they look like, but, you know, you're talking, bro, you're having a laugh because when you're in there, bro, you do got to talk to, you know, it does help talking to other people. So you actually do get to know people. You have a laugh with people, and then yeah, sometimes you see them, and, and then when you actually do see them, you're just like, "Whoa, you, you don't look like how I thought you'd look." You know what <laughs> I mean? Like it's real weird. So yeah, but so I went to Malaluka, got my taste there. Um, there's a camera in the cell as well, bro. You know, so that's sort of annoying, bro. <laughs> how so, how long were you there time. for? Uh, so all up, I was in the supermax for about 13 months fuck over over a year so it was a serious riot you know yeah. and so the, the corrections did consider that a really serious incident can you describe the the, the cell that you were in kind of t- to give people a picture where you spent 13 months like how big was it kind of what was could you have shit on the walls like it's just basically a bathroom, eh, where you can't open the door, eh, like <laughs> a <normal laughs> sized bathroom, like um Oh, because it's so hard to explain as well, bro, because the thing is you've got like, um, cause even in supermax, there's levels inside there as well. And, yeah. um, 
you can get shipped to different parts in so, so like Malaluka, for example, that's it's it's four different units. So it's one unit, but it's broken into four sections. Mm-hmm. So there, there's levels inside there as well. But yeah, overall it's pretty much the same, bro. Just a small cell, steel toilet. Um I mean when you start using normal toilets out here, man, it's such a difference, eh? Like it's so luxury. much more <laughs> Yeah, bro, luxury. <laughs> <laughs> You forget how shit it is sitting on a steel toilet eh, until you actually get out and use a normal one. And just like, oh, fuck, this is like a sleep here now. <laughs> I, could, <laughs> I could almost fall asleep now. <laughs> but yeah, so, um, yeah, sorry, what was the question again? So, um, oh, what, what, what your oh, cell looked like. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, basically, yeah, steel toilet, bro, uh, steel, steel sink. Um, and just uh, block where the mattress goes. Man, that's heavy. How, how do you, I mean, my first question when I think about that is how, imagine being locked, like you said, in a bathroom for 13 months. How do you stay sane? Like, and you're 20, like, uh, how, how did you train your mind to, to fucking build a fort and deal with this shit? Bro, it's so, um, because the thing is, you actually do get used to it in there. You know what I mean. So that's another unfortunate thing, really. You know what I mean. Like, um, yeah, because you just get used to it eventually, eh? And uh, like, I've seen people that don't even want to leave solitary, bro. You know what I mean. Like, there's guys that have, there's guys that have spent years down there, bro. You know what I mean. And they just because you get so you adjust your mind to that that when you're actually around people, you're just like, oh. You know what I mean? But for me, when I first went to Malaluka, like I was doing the head miles, bro. You know, I was just constantly minds working, you know, um, thinking about the outside, man, thinking about my family. So it is hard, bro. It sucks. But there's nothing you can do about it. You know what I mean? That's just the thing. You just, you got no choice but to get used to it you know either that or go crazy which people do as well you know a lot of people go crazy under those conditions like i've seen a lot of people go cuckoo in there it's sad really you know what i mean it's it, it sucks to see but and do i was you, just is like it, is it gradual like you slowly feel like they're they're starting to lose their mind or does it just happen so yeah bro it's, oh it it like, cause some people just go in there and just start losing it straight away just from those sort of conditions. But they're usually people that have, are already suffering quite badly from mental illness for, for them to go like that. So, but when you get people that are sort of, you think they're just normal and then they, um, they just start going cuckoo, you know, that takes a while, you know what I mean? It t- sort of takes a while. You know, I had a good mate that, um, you know, real normal when we first went in, but then after about a year, because he he was he went to the slot for the same reason as I did, so we both went down there for the riot. But about after about oh, not even a year, about six months, say eh, he was just yeah he lost it. You know, he was started yelling in his cell all the time, and even yelling at me. You know, um, yeah, he just completely lost the day. But that was about after six months, you know, of solitary. But yeah, I guess it depends on the level they're on when they get there, you know. Like so, like I said, people that are already suffering pretty bad from you know whatever mental illness, you know, as soon as they get to the slot, it'll just, you know, because you've just got yourself there, you know what I mean. So if 
you know, if you do have a mental illness, it's going to kick off a hundred times worse, you know, because now you've got no TV, nothing to take your mind off anything. You just got to sit with your thoughts, you know? Yeah, that's, that's dark, man. You'd think that, you know, as an institution and when the prison sees and knows about people who are obviously suffering from serious mental illness, that they would take yeah. them out of that environment away from the other mainstream population inmates oh, but they bro, don't bro it, it, and and some of these dudes so messed up they're walking around it's the so, yard with knives like yeah bro it's so messed up man like you know i've discussed things like this on my podcast you know about people um yeah, just how the whole mental health thing is uh dealt with in prison eh? like a lot of those guys that were in supermax you know a lot of those violent guys that i was around like in my head i'm just like like this that just doesn't make sense like they, they should be treated as patients you know what i mean like they're obviously not all there like when you've got you know schizophrenic people lashing out at officers like it's because they're being kept in solitary confinement in the worst conditions i mean what what can you possibly expect from someone like that you know but to lash out but they, they just don't look at it like that. You know, a lot of the officers in there, they just used to get pissed off at these prisoners for not doing what they're telling them when they're obviously full-blown schizophrenic, you know what I mean? And it's just like, that just doesn't make sense. Like I've seen them, I've seen, I've seen officers taunting prisoners, you know, like you, you do see that a lot, you know, them, you know, taunting prisoners from outside the wall and, you know, trying to egg on the, you know, egg on the you know the the um the the prisoners you know trying to egg them on and making it worse for them and you know it's 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 messed up man yeah so uh, at what point do you and um your boys decide to click up under the gfam banner was that was that because um, there wasn't a, a united islander thing already happening in the prisons or was there um yeah it was that well so like gfam got started around that time so around that time i well actually before then so it was sort of like um it's so hard to explain it because at the start we didn't uh, intend it to be what it ended up becoming you know what i mean so really it was just like a group of us guys yeah, basically clicking up, bro, you know what I mean? Because, you know, when you're on the prison yard, the guy, the people usually controlling everything are the ones bringing in the drugs, you know? That's usually how it works. So when you're in a position like me and my mates where we can't do that, you know what I mean? Because we're not, you know, we don't have the, the means to be able to call people on the outside and, you know, get large amount of drugs put wherever. You know what I mean? So that I guess that was a large factor of why we ended up clicking up just to, yeah, just as a power thing, I guess. And um, just having more power to do things behind the walls, if you get what I mean. Because like I said, we, you know, we don't have access to money or drugs on the outside or we can do things like that and, so when it's like that, you sort of got to click up in jail and sort of bring the violent side to it. 
Mm, and it's like trying to chase any little bit of freedom that you can, like whether it's just getting off your head for a night or whatever. It's like yeah, trying, oh, that's trying to get bro, in prison. Yeah, because I mean, um, it's no secret, bro. You know, like drugs in prison is huge, bro. You know what I mean? Like a majority of the prisoners are getting on it. You know, um, especially because yeah, it's just that free. It just gives you that feeling of freedom um it kills the time as well you know what i mean because when you are sort of doing that sort of stuff in prison it's like you're always busy you know what i mean like it's crazy how busy, it's crazy how busy you, get, you can actually get in there because eh? you're always like you know making calls making sure this guy's doing that and that guy's doing this and then you know you might see other people start talking and you're like why are they talking so then you've got to go sort that out like what's happening and you got to keep everything on you know because it gets to the point where you know, if you're in the unit and people are bringing drugs in and you don't know about it, like that's a big issue. You know what I mean? Like, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, if you've got enough influence and power in the people around you, it would get to that point as well where, you know, when other people start bringing in stuff, especially secretly, you know, and not telling anyone, then it does become a huge issue because really, if they got to bring stuff in, they'll have to pay rent, bro. You know what I mean? Mm. So. That's so how it, how long did it get before you GFAM cr created that kind of influence on the yard? Because it, it oh, you would have had to put in work bit, for a while. Yeah, bro. Yeah. So it, it does it does take a while, bro. It, it took a couple years, um, especially for it to actually be a thing where it was like because at first it's like if we're together on the yard and stuff, it's like yeah we've got influence but if we're not there or if there's only like one member it's not as much influence so to get it to the point where if there re was even just one member in the unit he'll still you know have a lot of influence that takes a couple took a couple of years you know and that took it also takes you know guys doing a lot of violent stuff um yeah it mainly comes with that over eh, just committing violent acts um even when they're one out yeah bro yeah so especially if they're one out you know especially so yeah that takes a while man it took a while it takes a couple of years yeah and um did, did you find that it was bringing together a lot of islander boys because and was that kind of the underlying another underlying factor or was it mainly just to make money and get by and uh, get gear and because I mean, I'm always interested in the race thing in prison. Like, how does that happen? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how, how do, how, why uh, do humans, like, instinctively just, you know, default to that when they're when they're in that environment? Oh, like, w in regards to that, I think in prison, why the main the main reason behind that would be is because when you go to prison, you've got all these guys from all over the state um most of the time it's unlikely that you're going to know a whole bunch of people you know if it's your first time so it's like you really look for things to relate and to and others and in prison i guess the main one that that would boil down to is race you know so when you see that someone's your same nationality you know what i mean obviously you're gonna if you don't know anyone you know what i mean and you see people that are your own race they're pretty much the people you're going to be gravitating towards because then you've got that common ground at least of you know being the same nationality so i think that's what i think that's mainly why race 
ends up being brought up in prison because yeah you know it just it gives you that common ground off the bat when you don't know anyone it's sort of like oh well you're from New Zealand too oh well so we're both from New Zealand you know and then you sort of cling on to that you know especially as a new prisoner you sort of cling on to and be like oh yeah so you know even because I know a lot of islanders in prison that sort of started hanging around islanders in prison but on the outside they never hung around islanders you know what I mean like they never kicked it with islanders but it's just when you go to prison it's like that's that common ground you know what i mean if you don't know anyone you sort of that's the the biggest one but um sorry what was your other question bro in regards to the... oh, just about gfam like uh growing that momentum and um yeah, yeah oh, like you... um it did it, oh to be honest i wouldn't really say it brought islanders together really um no, nah, well, the thing is, I mean, so when we saw, oh, at first it did, yeah, but I wouldn't say it really, well, because Islanders were sort of already together anyway before we came at GFLAM, you know, so even when I first went into prison, you know, Islanders were sort of hanging around Islanders, but, well, because the thing is, bro, like, it, it well, this is for me myself anyway, like, so with people that wanted to join GFAM, it's like, because like for me, I actually never recruited anyone, bro. You know what I mean? So I never really recruited anyone to join only because it's like, because the thing is, even though it is a race thing and we are proud to be Islanders, I mean, realistically, it is a prison gang, you know, so. What does that mean for people that don't know? So basically it's like, um, well, because of the thing is, it can be a little bit cutthroat, bro. You know what I mean? So it's like, um, because for me, while we never really recruited anyone was because it's like, bro, once you make that choice that you want to join, it's like, you know, like say if something um, was to happen and there's someone that needs to be taken out, I mean, you're going to pretty much have to go do that. You know what I mean? Like, but then if you don't want to go do that, then it's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Then, then, then it's an issue for us now. You know what I mean? Because it's like, well, if you don't want to do that, then, you know, you could possibly end up getting taken out. You know what I mean? Because it's like, it just really boils down to that, you know, that it is, a, it is a prison gang and it is prison. You know what I mean? But, um, where do you think where do you think that mentality comes from like that that survival instinct and those kind of cutthroat rules like oh bro because the thing is i mean you know the thing is so for me man i've come a long way you know what i mean i've sort of i've come a long way now and i uh, realize you know a lot of things that i didn't before realize the brutality of that life you know which i didn't really before but it's um but because the thing is, a, more, a majority of the boys are pretty violent. You know what I mean? Pretty violent, pretty violent guys. They don't have much of a heart, bro. You know what I mean? Um, they don't really, um, you know, when it comes to the boys and that, yeah, there's mad love. But to anyone else, it's sort of like just completely ruthless, bro. You know what I mean? So a lot of the guys that I started the crew with, you know, are ruthless guys, bro. They don't really... Um, yeah bro they don't really have heart for um failed missions and 
you know, because a lot of the guys are people that have grown up in the system, bro. You know what I mean? They've spent a majority of their time behind bars. They don't know much about what's going on out here, bro. And they don't really care either. You know what I mean? So, because it's so complex, bro, because the thing is a lot of people can go to prison, uh, say as an Islander, if you come into prison, it's sort of like, oh yeah, bro, we'll look after you. You know what I mean? We'll give you what you need and stuff. But then it's so a lot of people get into the drugs, bro. You know what I mean? So a lot of the boys want to start getting high and, you know, start doing things like that. But then when it comes to that, bro, it's like you get told off the bat, like, bro, if you're going to start getting involved in drugs, it's a different ball game. You know what I mean? Like you just, um, yeah, it's just, because that's what, pe- what sucks most people in, bro, is the drugs. You know, if it wasn't for the drugs, they would stay out of jail, but they want to get high. So then you got to get involved with all that, all that comes with that. But um, because so some people can come to the unit and they can get looked after, bro. You know what I mean? Like when I did, I got looked after, I got given everything and stuff. But then it's just, yeah, bro, when the drugs get involved and it becomes tricky and then it's like, People can join because want to join because it's like, oh yeah, I get looked after. You know what I mean? Like when you're when you're with the boys and that it's like you get drugs and you get all of that and you get everything first. But then when it comes to actually doing something for all of that, then some people can then can back out. You know what I mean? It's be like, oh well, I didn't know that it was going to involve me having to do anything and go to solitary. You know what I mean? So it's like that's why people. That's why off the bat, I never used to get anyone to join or anything like that, because yeah, bro, it just creates complications, bro. It's sort of hard to explain, but yeah, it just creates complications. Yeah, yeah, that's. I mean that. I feel like it's it's a bit. It, you were young when you'd made those decisions up. Do you think it's a young young person mentality that thing, like being able to that ruthless and that heartless and and do you think it's something that you might grow out of in time yeah bro like um it's definitely something you can grow grow out of over time 100 percent. but it also depends on say you know how long is how long the inmates doing you know what i mean so a lot of the boys some of the boys are doing long sentences so for them it's like there's no real point in changing you know what i mean like if I'm already doing double digits, it's like, what's this? You know, that's how a lot of the boys look at it, that this is my life here in prison and there's no thoughts of getting out, you know? Mm. Yeah. And I guess they're just going to have to make do with the situation, the hand they've been dealt. They eh? just try and make yeah, the best bro. of a shit situation. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, with the boys in the gang, the best situation pretty much is, more power you know what i mean bro yeah yeah man that's a it's a spin out i just uh did when when, when was the first time were, was there a moment when gfam got really tested in the in the early days where you know there were some other big crews or you don't have to mention their names but actually put you to the test um yeah bro yeah yeah definitely um there were other crews, bro, other crews in that. Um, yeah, I won't mention names, but yeah, there, there were other crews and stuff. Um, but it wasn't really that they were a threat to what GFAM was going to do. It was more just uh, 
basically it's going to be war. You know what I mean? Like that's so. Um, but how does that war kick off? Um, oh, it's always boils down to drugs again. Um, yeah, bro. Basically everything in prison, any sort of stouch or anything like that, even when they say in the newspaper, it's gang related and all of that. Usually it just comes down to drugs, bro. You know what I mean? Like, because drugs brings people together as well. You know what I mean? Like we've had moments with other gangs where we sort of pieced it out sort of because there were drugs, bro. You know what I mean? So we're sort of piecing it out because everyone's eating sort of thing. But then when something messes up, then it's like, um, is it that they want yours or you want theirs? Yeah, bro. Pretty much. Yeah. Because I guess how it would work, you know, a rough outlay is like if people are bringing in drugs, if there's two different groups, usually they would also help each other out as well. So that if it got to the point where one group's line got smashed and they couldn't bring anything more in, then they can still get through that other group. That's how it usually works in prison. You know what I mean? So even though groups might be sort of beefing it, saying that they're beefing it, Behind the scenes, though, you know what I mean? There could be little deals going down here and there. Mainly between the leaders, though, you know what I mean? So not the foot soldiers. <laughs> the foot soldiers wouldn't really know about that. But between the leaders and stuff, there would be, you know, things, movements going back and forth. So that's what it's usually over, bro. So especially, say, if a group is already in control and then you've got another group that comes in, it's like... Because if that other group's still controlling everything, it's, you know, a lot of the times that other group's not going to back down either. So then that's when things get violent, you know what I mean? Um, because basically in prison, everybody wants to get on, bro. You know what I mean? Like, everybody wants to get on, man. And then if there's a group of people that's getting on and, no, and no one else is getting on, it's going to create dramas, bro. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way, there's no two ways around it, bro. Like, I know on, yeah. the, on the surface, uh, well, in media reports, uh, people look at what happens in prison and straight away boil it down to, oh, it's a race issue. Like, yeah, especially nah, if it's like yeah, GFAM yeah. and someone else and they're different races, yeah. they straight away say, oh, it's, yeah, right. it's yeah. a race issue. Or, right? Yeah, bro. Yeah. Well, because there's multiple reasons for that. You know, well, first, they don't want people knowing there's mass amounts of drugs in prison. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know, even though most yeah. people already know anyway. But it's also because, you know, most of the time the, the media doesn't even know what's going on. You know what I mean? So they could, bro, most of the time the officers don't even know what's going on, bro. You know what I mean? Most of the officers down at the bottom and that don't know what the hell's going on, bro. You know, but then when you got intel, they know everything, you know, in prison. Like they, they know bloody everything. You know what I mean? There's nothing that they don't know. Drugs, whatever. You know what I mean? There's absolutely nothing that... Because, you know, I've been in the system, bro. I know how corrupt it is, bro. I know how corrupt some of the officers are. And, um, I mean, at the end of the day, the officers only give a shit when they're not being told. You know what I mean? Like, they, they'll, let, they'll, let, they'll let whatever happen as long as they're being told what's happening. You know what I mean? That's that's all they care about. Can you talk a little bit about, about what happened after Malaluka? Kind of returning to that journey of yours, like... So 13 months in Maluka, and what was what was next? Um, well, I actually ended up getting out, bro. 
So I got released again. And um, yeah, same thing again, bro. Got out for like a month or two and I uh, went straight back. And um, it was basically just business as usual, man. When as soon as I come back, it was like all the boys were there waiting for me. And like when I went back that time, that was really when GFAM really pushed into becoming what it is now. And was that in Bowen? Uh, no, nah, well, when I got out, I came back and I went to Port Phillip. And I did my, my four and a half years at Port Phillip. Were you, were you in uh, Scarb North or South? Nah, oh, bro, I went, I've been to every unit at Port Phillip, bro. In that, in that. Yeah, no, nah, because when I went back, bro, they wouldn't let me anywhere else. Right, yeah, yeah. So I basically did all my time at, 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 uh, at Port Phillip. Um, but half of it in solitary because they got they got a supermax unit at Port Phillip too. So yeah, be a very scarf north, scarf south. Um Can you talk a bit a little bit about that and, and why they call it the Bronx? Yeah, bro, yes. Uh, well yeah, because Scarb North and South that it's different now, but um that they they were the, pretty much the only units that didn't have cameras, bro. As well. So that was a lot of reason why a lot of shit goes down in that unit. Um seen riots in that unit um when i was there someone got killed in scarb north fuck what was that like oh uh, when that guy died yeah um yeah no nah, it was pretty full-on man really um they didn't even catch the guys that done it um so yeah no that was pretty full-on um but yeah it wasn't surprising that it happened really but yeah, so that was, yeah, so Scarb North and Scarb South, that's sort of the Bronx there. It's sort of separated from the rest of the prison as well. Um, but this is when I was there, Ray. Eh? I heard Port Phillips changed a lot now. It's, um, yeah, it's changed heaps now. So they've, I think all the units are all segregated there at Port Phillip now. And um, they're starting to segregate between race now. Um yeah, I mean, prison systems never get better, bro. <laughs> they only get worse. So yeah, that's that's interesting that they're they're going back to segregating by by race on the yard. Yeah, nah, no, man. Like, yeah, my mates uh, who are at Port Phillip are just like, bro, it's completely changed here now. You know, um, yeah, it's all fenced off now because there used to be a little bit of mingling between units before, like down at the gym and things like that. But yeah, now now it's all fenced off now, and yeah, I heard it's gone real crap there. Yeah. So, so what, what, what did you, where did you go from there? Was that when you in Port Phillip, you were trying to really bolster GFAM as a crew? Yeah, bro. You, so, at the, at the, so yeah, when I went back to prison, bro, it was just straight, straight back business as usual, bro. Um, trafficking drugs, um, getting caught crap, trafficking drugs all the time. Um, How much does it go for in there? Yeah. And are we talking bup or, or the, the oh, high? So, or? Bro, a strip of bup in, there in in prison can go anywhere from a hundred to two hundred dollars, bro. Fuck. Like that's a <laughs> that's a big. Um, I mean, I don't know how much a strip costs on the outside, but it's like, I mean, that pack doesn't cost much. But yeah, no, every strip every strip in there is worth one hundred to two hundred dollars, and people will pay that all day, bro. And people cut people, that up too, right? Yeah, nah, yeah, so it gets cut up and and sold into deals. So it's like a little square deal for like 20 bucks. But yeah, that whole strip. So an eight meg strip would make you 
uh, so if it was a hundred bucks, yeah, little twenty dollar squares for like canteen and stuff. But yeah, but um, it's actually amazing, eh? How much, <laughs> how much they're worth in prison, eh? Yeah, and like because how much would that be it's for a, the pack? It's, a, it's addictive as well, uh, eh? How much would that pack end up making you if if you got? Because how many strips in a pack? In an, in an oh well, because the thing is, you get there's only one strip and one pack. Okay. You can get like the bundles, you know, because I'm not sure actually how it works on the outside, but I think they just get given like takeaways or something, eh? Something like that. But I know, I mean, it's only like a couple of dollars, you know, for like a week's worth. And like, yeah, one of those little, little eight meg strips in prison is costs a hundred bucks. And the thing is, it's addictive as well, you know what I mean? So that's well, a pharmaceutical drug, man. Yeah, bro. So it's like, um, yeah, people hang for it, bro. I've seen people spend so much money eh, on that stuff. Their family's money as well, bro, you know. Oh, man. Because well, I've been hooked on it as well, bro. I've been on the butte. I've been hooked on it. Luckily, I didn't have to pay for it, though, you know. But when you see people that do it, it's like, fuck. Yeah, man. I was speaking to a guy um, who was locked up when it was first introduced in New South Wales. And yep. he said, you know, they, they introduced it to get people off the smack because they were sharing needles yeah. uh, on the yard um, yeah, because yeah, they wanted to curb hep C. Yeah, but then uh, they did it yeah. to, to curb the hep C among the few inmates that were actually involved in taking heroin. But then when they introduced bup, it the whole prison just got on it. So, yeah, yeah so it's right. like take trying to minimize one problem and then you just introduce this fucking huge issue and put all these yeah, people nah, on I, opiates and then when they got out they couldn't get the bube so they just got on smack and so it just created this uh, fucking bro the whole methadone bube how it works in australian prisons is just doesn't make sense bro <laughs> i mean like if they said that that's the reason they introduced it i mean i doubt it you know what i mean because it makes more problems than um it, it, it creates more problems, you know what I mean? Um, especially with butte, bro, you know, because, yeah, now you see heaps of people going straight as, bro, and then end up hooked on the butte. Because, um, yeah, it is. it does get addictive, bro. And then, especially in prison, because you're bored, it's like you're hanging out even more, you know? So, um, yeah, I've seen heaps of people, yeah, walking, not not doing any drugs, nothing like that, then end up on the butte, bro, and then end up getting out, bro, and then, yeah, bro, on the smack. Um, you know, like, yeah, because butte, even for me, bro, when I started trying butte and that, it led me to smoking heroin in jail and, you know, I started doing that. I even took methadone a couple times in prison. I was never on it, but I've tried it, you know, and. Bro, when you see people that's on like 30 mils at least of methadone every day, I mean, what that does to the body, fuck. Mm. You know? How, how did you break that cycle then? Um, Oh, like sort of the whole cycle? like Yeah, or, or prison yeah. and... Yeah, well... Oh, bro, like... Well, um, well, because you, well, you said like when you when you join a, a gang like this, you're in it for life and you've got to expect to, to spend yeah, the rest of your yeah. life. How, how did you... What happened then, and how did you how did you break that? Uh in in regards to that, so I am pretty fortunate, you know what I mean. So the thing is, if, if it's really messed up, bro, really, because 
Um, well, it's different for me, bro, because I was one of the founders, bro. You know what I mean? So I was there right at the start. And um, so when I did want to walk away, don't get me wrong, bro. It hasn't been all, all good. You know what I mean? It has been tough, bro, walking away from that life. I have fallen out with people. Um, not everyone, but I have fallen out with certain people. Um, and that just comes with it, eh, bro. That just comes with being in a gang and leaving. Um but yeah, like I said, bro, it's just, it's, I'm very, I'm pretty fortunate, man. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, mainly because I was there from the start. Um, you know, there have been other people that wanted to leave in prison, bro, and it didn't go down smooth. Um, you know, even for me, bro, to be honest, you know, if anyone had wanted to leave while I was still doing the stuff and if I had heard that they wanted to leave, it wouldn't have been all good, bro. You know what I mean? It, would have probably ended ended violently when I was in that mind state before. Um, so it is trippy to think back on it, but like for me, when I sort of started realizing um, it was actually a relationship, bro, you know what I mean? So there was a woman involved and while I was in prison and she really opened my eyes, bro, to a lot of shit. And um like I just realized that this wasn't it for me anymore. Eh? I didn't want to, didn't want prison and all of that. So, um, yeah, I just sort of just slowly started stepping back, um, sort of relinquishing my power as well. You know what I mean? That I had, um, yeah, again, bro, it's just very blessed, bro, <laughs> in a way, you know what I mean? Because yeah, bro, like it wouldn't, it's, to be honest, it wouldn't be as easy for another member to do what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Especially one that wasn't there from the start, you know, which a lot are now, you know, most of the boys weren't there from the start now. Um, so it's, um, yeah. Was that, was just that, lucky, bro. You, and you, as well as meeting um, this girl, you, you also really got into reading too, right? And you were really learning. Oh, yeah, no, bro, heaps. always. Yeah, no, nah, oh man, oh yeah, shit, yeah, bro. Oh, even when I was doing the G fan thing and in Supermax, bro, that I was always huge on knowledge, bro. Mm. Always big on that. Um, yeah, bro. When I was in Supermax, that's all I used to do, bro, was just read. Yeah, and I remember um, you saying that you preferred it because it was like using your mind's eye to imagine things as yeah, opposed to watching. Yeah, bro, that's what. Yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. Yeah, bro, it's um, just yeah. No, no brainwashing, you know, when you're reading the book, it's just, yeah, your mind's eye. And, um, I mean, reading got me through, bro. Reading definitely got me, got me through. I used to read like, you know, two novels a week. So sometimes real thick ones too. I mean, I read the whole Game of Thrones series, like three or four, <laughs> three or four times, bro. Every book, you know what I mean? I, I love that book. Um, even Hunger Games, bro. I read all the Hunger Games. Um, read all the Maze Runner books. Um, yes, yeah, so I was always big on knowledge, bro. Even a lot of the, a lot of my mates who are still in prison, who are still in the gang, um, big readers, you know what I mean? Love reading, love, um, love, um, educating ourselves and things like that, especially to the system, bro. You know, so that was another reason why the officers hated us because we always used to like, you know, it would always be like in the rule book, bro, you know, like all like couple hundred pages bro we'll just read the whole thing you know just so we know our rights as prisoners the rights of 
as you know, because I mean, with police officers, police police officers hate people that know the law, bro. That nothing does the. I mean, they love people that say fuck the police and do heaps of stupid shit. They they love people like that, bro. You know what I mean? But when it comes to people that know the law, it just it annoys them. You know. So we're always um big on um you know education and things like that but you know in regards with the boys like i said you know a lot of them have grown up in the system and so it's hard for them to break that side of it eh? i'm also interested in the spiritual side of gfam like uh was there a, a bit of a spiritual element to it as well uh, oh yeah in regards to culture yeah 100 you know what i mean um we would always sort of um you know, bring that into it. Because the thing is, we're not all Islanders, bro. You know, so GFAM oh, is really? mainly Islanders. But yeah, now we have, there's a couple um, African boys, um, even Middle Eastern. Not many, but there's a couple. But they're mainly the sort of guys that are have grown up around Islanders, though. You know what I mean? Like they've um, mainly grown up around us and we've known them for ages. But um yeah, I wouldn't really put much into the spiritual side of it, though. You know, um, there is a little bit, but yeah. Can you talk a little about your journey from that um, Port Phillip stint to where you are now? Yeah, so like I said, bro, you know, there's formed a relationship, bro. Um, sort of let the, let the guard down a bit, bro. Let the armor come down a bit and realize that there is a lot more. Um, the thing is, this relationship, bro, she actually meant quite a lot to me, bro. So it was a big, big event for me. Um, but that's what it usually takes, you know, something big. But yeah, so it was sort of with her. And then when I got released from prison, because I was being deported as well back here to New Zealand. So I was like, what am I going to do, really? But when I came out of prison, I knew that I wasn't going back, bro. You know, um. Because the thing is, with that relationship too, it didn't end up. It didn't end well, and I was still in prison, so I was in a real dark head space, bro. With like the last six months of my um, sentence, um, like you know, suicidal, bro. You know, um, trying to end it, bro. You know, there were certain nights in there where I tried to to end it, man, but. Fuck! So that you—that was even t a tougher battle for you than Malaluka. Oh, bro, that was tough. Yeah, no, that was tougher than anything else, bro. Was was that? That was. Why do you uh, think that was? Oh, just because I let my guard down, bro. You know, sort of. I uh, had feelings in that. Um, because it really opened my eyes, eh, to realize that fuck this. You know, prison is fucked. You know what I mean? Because up to that point, I was just like, yeah, prison, you know, this is my home sort of thing. But then when you get that love in your heart, bro, and all of that, then, you know, you want to get out. So when it didn't end well, bro, I was like, shit, you know, I was gutted. And yeah, bro, suicidal thoughts, man, you know, wanting to end it, um, trying to end it. Couldn't get, couldn't work up, you know, couldn't do it though, bro. I tried, but just couldn't bring myself to do it, eh? I'm glad you've seen the other side of it, man, and you seem real, real healthy. I, I see you on um, Instagram, always running in the morning, <laughs> yeah, yeah. fucking keeping that, <laughs> yeah, keeping that mental, mental health and physical yep. health game fucking sharp. So it's good. I'm glad to see that you, you've come out the other end, bro. 
Yeah, bro. Yeah, thank you. It's all about training the mind, eh, man? It's all about slowly training that mind. I also wanted to speak about, I mean, you, you after that whole situation, you're a, you're a 501 deportee, right? And a yep. little bit about yes. that. I mean, for people that don't know, under a very draconian section of the Migration Act, it's called Section 501, um, Peter Dutton has has the power, he's the Minister of Home Affairs, has the power to, to cancel visas, but on bad character grounds. So without any judicial process, he has the power to strip citizenship and cancel visas and... Anyone who's been sentenced to 12 months or more in prison, they basically fall under this unsound character thing and get deported. Um, some, some of these men go to countries, um, have been long-term residents here in Australia, so they go into countries that they fucking barely know, right? And yeah. Oh, it's, it's so messed up, eh? The whole 501 laws, man. Uh, not just for us, man, but, you know, people from Sudan and there. I've got a couple of boys that's been deported back to Sudan and... Uh, here back to the islands um you know back to europe or wherever and um fuck it's just so messed up hey how was it first uh communicated to you like how was that explained to you were you aware of the law or anything or was it just dropped on you because when i went when i went back to port phillip there was about a um it wasn't a law they hadn't changed the laws yet so they changed the laws about halfway through and then um yeah, because they had tried to deport me my prior sentence when I was at Bra- at Bowen. They had tried to deport me then as well, but I had actually beaten at that time. Um, but then, yeah, when I went back to prison to Port Phillip halfway through, they changed the laws. And and then, yeah, you, you get the papers, bro. So they just give you a folder. And basically, when you get that manila folder in prison, that's like everybody knows. Eh? Like all the boys are like, oh, your deportation papers are. So... Pretty right. much everyone, ex- uh, pretty much everyone expects that. Eh? It's always sad because when you saw people like coming to prison and that, I'm like, "Oh, did you get your papers yet?" They're like, "Nah, nah. Hopefully, I'll slip through. You know, hopefully, I'll slip through." Oh, it's man. like, bro, you're not gonna slip through, bro. You're, you're gonna get yeah. that folder, brother. You, don't worry, you're gonna get oh, that folder. <laughs> and then you gotta fill it out, you know, because um, you know they send you the first one saying that you, you know, you're you're up for maybe getting deported. So you got to write back and then automatically after that one, you're going to get sent, you're going to get sent the one that says it's been canceled. So that's hundred percent going to happen. So you'll get that one sent back. You've been canceled and then you can go from there and appeal or, um, then you got to send them a whole bunch of folders, you know, and paperwork and letters from, you know, referees, I guess you can help you. And, it's actually really sad, eh, bro? Because uh, for me, I just came straight back, bro, because I knew I wasn't going to beat it. But there's so many boys, man, that think they're going to beat it, eh? And I just, oh. And some do, man, but it's very rare, bro. You know, it's very rare, you know. But, uh, bro, I've seen people sit at the immigration center at Christmas Island for like four years, bro, and still and still get sent back. Bro, that's normal. But, bro, there's so many boys that's been at Christmas Island. Um, there was a riot there recently, too, I think. Yeah, oh, bro, yeah. there's always riots in there. There's always stuff strikes and that going down even if it's not always on the news but yeah, it's just yeah bro there's people that's been sitting in detention for years bro and they still end up coming back bro and they've spent like you know tens of thousands sometimes hundreds of thousands on legal fees just to get just to come back bro can you talk a little bit about the support system for 501s when they get back to new zealand 
That's a great question. Oh, bro, yeah, th- this is such a good question as well, eh? Because so, because they, when you're coming from, um, when you're getting deported from Australia to here, they don't tell you much about support, bro. You know what I mean? And they do tell you there is support, though. They'll be like, oh yeah, like trying to make it comfortable for you. You know what I mean? Saying, oh yeah, there's a possibility you might get money or you might get this, you might get that. But you get here and there's nothing, man. You know what I mean? There, there are um. Like you got PARS, I think it's here, which is um, sort of like for return for deportees and stuff. But bro, they do not do much, bro. Like if I had zero support here, I would have been fucked, bro. You know, and there's so many deportees that come here with no family contacts, and bro, they're just fucked, bro. They're just yeah. What happened when you when you got off the plane? Like, what kind of discussion did you have when you got to customs? Like, were you expecting? You just, uh, well, you got to go speak to the police and stuff, but because you got to get marched through as well, bro. You know, so you got to be all handcuffed and um, you got to walk through the airports. And I mean, my mental state when I was coming through was just heartbroken, eh, bro. I just, I didn't mm. want to be here. Um, and that's how it is for most boys, you know. So that's on top of that, you know, you got most of the boys coming back, they've got no family. And they're angry, you know, <laughs> like they're living in a country that they don't want to be in. Because um, the prisons here are packed with 501s, bro. It's just packed. It's heaps. Like if I had no family here, man, it's unfortunate. But if I had had no family in here, I probably would have ended up joining a gang, bro. Just because, fuck, I just wouldn't have had anything, bro. You know what I mean? I would have had absolutely nothing to do but join a gang just to try and make ends meet. and. Mm. You know, that's cr- yeah. It's wild to think that you know why would why would you rehabilitate when you're serving a stint in prison when you know you're going to be fucked off back to New Zealand anyway? Yeah. And then when you get it, there, what hope have you got when there's nothing to support you? You you're going to just fuck up. Yeah, no, nah, no. That's why. Yeah, I feel for a lot of the boys, man. But that's why I'm doing shit like this, bro. You know, doing potties and. Just trying to put myself in a position where I can help uh, deportees and can help um, other people, you know. What kind of advice would you be giving to people in, in that position? Oh, man. Uh, well, I'll, first of all, I'll let them know off the bat that they're going to, it's an uphill battle, bro. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's no way other, other than to start with that. You know what I mean? It's going to be an uphill battle. A lot of the times you're going to feel like you're wearing ice skates at the same time, bro. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just, oh man, it's just where you start, eh, bro? You know, because you got to get work. You've got to get all your basics, you know, your tax phone number, your bank accounts and uh, just so much. And then coming back here with no money. I mean, you know, because basically you'd only have your, your withheld, bro, that you would get that you had from prison. That's the only money you're going to get. Um, cause even how that works in Melbourne, you know, at least you can get your withheld and, um, things like that when you're released from prison. I mean, the prison system here doesn't even have anything like that. You know what I mean? Like mm. the where you're released with money and stuff like that's unheard of here. You know what mm. I mean? So, um, yeah, it is tough, man, but it's definitely just getting, you're trying to get your head right. Eh? You know, and just knowing that it's going to be tough. You know what I mean? Don't think it isn't because if you think it's not going to be tough, then fuck, you're fucked. You know what I mean? Because it's tough, you know? There's no two ways around it. 
even for me, man, when I first come back here, even though I did have the family support, I mean, fuck, I was still in a very dark place, bro. Um, drinking every day without fail. Um, and that's how it is for most deportees, bro. When they come back, when they come back, you know, they just end up on the piss, bro, every day. Because, I mean, alcohol's so cheap here as well, bro. Alcohol's like water here. So it's like, there's a big, big, big issue here with, uh, with alcohol. But yeah, even for me, bro, you know, even though I did come back here with the mind state that I'm not going to go to prison, I'm going to work, you know, I, I started working as soon as I got here. But mentally, bro, I was drinking every single day. Um, if I had a day off, bro, I was drinking in the morning, bro. Um, so that's what I mean, bro. I know how much of an uphill battle it is, man, you know. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, man, um, when I, yeah. All the stuff that I've I've heard you say about prison really fucking reminds me of this um, Norwegian this quote from this Norwegian writer I really like called uh, Ibsen and he says um, the strongest man in the world is the one who stands most alone and and that, yeah brother what, what, yeah. and uh, I noticed that with yours it's a lot so so you got this kind of one out mentality you you've got all the other boys and shit on your on your podcast and stuff like that but you're very kind of independent and kind of yeah. solo minded um do you think that's something you learned for prison or, or as, a, as a kind of final question what what has all this experience taught you what has all this fucking violence and no, brutality I'll, taught you man straight up bro um you know what that really um what's that it's really the lesson that that's given me bro all of that is that you've only got yourself bro you know what i mean at the end of the day you've only got only got you man you know it's, it's unfortunate bro because i see a lot of the young people that i'm trying to help and they're always talking about the boys you know what i mean i got my boys back to the end and it's loyalty and this and that bro the only people that say that are the sort of people that haven't witnessed enough yet haven't been in the game long enough bro you know what i mean mm -hmm. or haven't rose up the ladder far enough to know that bro because once you're on that path and the gang path and all of that when, when you're climbing that ladder ladder you, there is a rung on that ladder that will show you that loyalty is nothing, bro. You know what I mean? Loyalty doesn't mean anything. And if you don't know that, that's just because you haven't got into that rung yet, bro. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I am very independent. And because um, it has been hard for me, bro, you know, leaving the gang behind and doing all of this, bro. You know, um, but that's why I'm very, because um, I try and portray that as well. You know what I mean? The, ind uh, the how independent I am and, um because yeah like you said bro i got the boys to jump on the podcast and stuff but at the end of the day it's just me bro you know just me trying to uh slowly climb up here man so yeah. sort of uh man it's the same know. with me like i try to tell my cousins like when you're sitting around a table snorting coke and your boys yeah. are saying man i'll take a bullet for you but when those bullets yeah, fly man, through the yeah. fucking window trust me they're hitting the deck man and they're not going to speak yeah, to you again cuz they're not going to be speaking <laughs> to you again cuz they're not going to yeah. be taking that bullet once those fucking shots start to fly but <laughs> yeah bro yeah nah, definitely man and cuz in prison you see it all the time too man supposedly best mates and they fall out all the time you get that a lot in prison you know so that's sort of what made me realize like you know, because even with me, bro, when I was in the gang and the people that I was close with, now that I've chosen this path, I barely hear from them, bro. You know what I mean? So 
that's really when you, where you test the loyalty of your boys is when you want to do something else, bro. You know what I mean? That's that's when you're gonna really see how close you were with them and things like that. Litmus Media.